This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything going on at Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Second Mission Foundation, all one word, dot org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles and Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. My guest this week was Francisco Martinez Cuello. Um, I'm not going to lie, this was a uh, a crossover episode um, with Profiles and Havoc and Savage Wonder because Francisco warranted it. Um, you know, he's a 20-year Marine Corps veteran. Um, has an awful lot to say on the military side of the house, but as a writer, he's also exceptional. So um, it was somebody that I thought both platforms would appreciate hearing about. Uh, and then I went ahead and dropped the ball and didn't do the intros <laughs> and outros for this episode in time. So now I'm racing to get this done. So um, let me briefly get you guys up to speed on Francisco before we launch into the interview. Um, Francisco, as I went through 20 years in the Marine Corps um, as an enlisted guy and then becoming an officer. And um, well, you'll hear all about that and, and you know what jobs he had and, and deployments he had, etc. Um, in the interview, when he left the Marine Corps, he went to UC Berkeley's Graduate School for Journalism and since then, he's really been on fire. And you'll hear me talk about it with him in the episode that he just really has, uh, you know, he's not a veteran that really seems to have taken a lot of time off or, or that did take a lot of time off and kind of decompress. He kind of decompressed on the fly as he just dove headfirst into writing on a professional level. Um, he has been an editor and contributing writer to Panorama, the Journal of Intelligent Travel. He is an Into the Fire Writing Retreat Scholarship recipient. He's a Virginia Center for the Creative Arts Fellow. He uh, went through the Writers Guild Foundation Veterans Writing Project. I uh, went through a bunch of other ones like that, but he, uh, you know, uh, went through the um, Veteran Theater uh, or Veteran Playwriting Workshop uh, as part of the Veterans and Theater Institute, the Loya Playhouse, which is incredibly prestigious. Uh, Francisco's had work featured in The Line Literary Review, Hippocampus Magazine, Iron and Air, Wrath Bearing Tree, Consequence, Bull, Hobart, Construction, Literary Magazine, 
Split Lip, War Horse, River Teeth, Beautiful Things, Collateral Journal, and the Dominican Writers Association. He's also a contributing co-editor in the second volume of Sex, Drugs, and Copenhagen. So that all is impressive, but none of it even hints at what he did for us at Vet Rep, where he placed his play Salsa Night, um, placed third in our full-length playwriting competition. It's I'm really a big fan of that play. It's an outstanding piece of work. We'll talk about it on the episode, but it's it's a war story that's not a war story, and those are some of my favorite pieces of writing in general. And Francisco really tells a hell of a story with it about a uh, Dominican-American uh, 0311 Marine infantryman who comes in to um, the FOB and has an interaction with a Haitian-American uh, female uh, FOBET sergeant, NCO. And uh, so all those differing dynamics, male-female FOBET versus line troop, Dominican versus Haitian. There's a lot of dynamics there and how that plays out during the uh, salsa, the weekly salsa night on the FOB is uh, is kind of the nature of the play. It's a fascinating piece. Really, really cool uh, play that actually came from a creative nonfiction piece that Francisco wrote. Anyway, well, you'll hear all this mentioned. I'm just teeing it up for you. Um, so when you hear it mentioned in the interview, you have some context and frame of reference. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Francisco Martinez Cuello's Profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, Francisco. Oh boy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you got your cup on. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's great to see you, man. Um, I guess we saw each other in October, right? It feels like a lifetime ago. A lot has happened and changed, but yeah. So the the last time we did something on Zoom and I talked to you on Zoom, it was like a proof of life video. I felt <laughs> like you were like in some white closet somewhere. I felt like the screen was grainy. I felt like at any point, mass dudes were going to come in and cut off the feed. I didn't know what was going on. And I figured, oh, that's Bethel, Alaska. Okay, bitching. Are you still there? Is it because this is a lot nicer? It looks like either you took over and you're now one of them or you or you upgraded to a different room or something. I'm pretty much the mayor of Bethel now. Uh, so as you can see from my setup, I've got a, a pretty cool mic to be on air and uh the soundproofing on the wall. So yeah, this is this is my turf now. I'm a I love it, man. In Alaskan. <laughs> How's it going up there? How are you liking Alaska? Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you you know, it's uh, I just I just did a story on the, on this person. Uh, it was Reese Madden. He finished the uh, the he finished the he was the last to cross the finish line at the Cuscoquim uh, three hundred three three hundred mile uh, race dog sled race. And um, oh yeah, sure. That's so like the like, Iditarod type thing, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's the yeah, dead rods like a thousand miles, but the, oh, okay. this this is the the premier mid distance race, and okay. so like it's highly coveted, and it took him forty eight hours to get through the race, and um, you know, it speaks to 
So those folks that come in last get the red lantern and that that shows the perseverance and determination. And that's basically um, rural Alaska. You got to have uh, a certain level of of grit. Otherwise, you're you're not going to make it here. And um, and and I respect the hell out of that. Um, I respect the, the people that are um, living off the land, um, fishing, hunting um, to provide for their family all winter long because winter here is 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 a challenge and um i'm i have a newfound respect for these folks and um i consider it an honor to be here and to report and and just be a member of the community um, even if i am the outsider so i hope that answers the question is it a newfound respect or did you kind of know that going in when you took the gig in alaska i think I think I'd like to say that it's just like, oh, well, yeah, it's it's challenging, like it's it's rough terrain. But like and, you know, certainly those of us in the military have have seen rough terrain. Um, but to be here in a different capacity um, as a civilian, um, as a I think you have to experience it to to truly appreciate it, because otherwise it's just lip service. Like, yeah, yeah, folks out here have it tough. And then, but then you get out here and you see what they're going through and you're like, wow, these guys have it tough, you know? <laughs> is but, it, is it really the case that, that they have to live off the land or is there any choice in it? Is it that they could, there is enough infrastructure for them not to have to live off the land. They just choose to do that. Uh, I think a little both, uh, you know, they're out there in the logistics tether. Um, I, you know, I myself have run out of water. Um, and, and so, you know, when you get outside of Bethel, which is Bethel is a 6,000, um, the population is 6,000 roughly or so. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but when you get out to these outlying villages in the YK Delta, um, there are 200 people in a village, 300 people. And, 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 and there, that's it. That's all of them. And it's just things that they've been doing this for so long. And, um, and so, yeah, I think they that it's a it's a choice, and they enjoy doing it. So, this this is going to be kind of a this could be a very insulting question, I guess. Uh, but I think it takes a vet to ask this with the right sensibility. Does it remind you at all in that respect of Afghanistan, of going to a place yeah. where it's like shit, man? These are the only people you know that you guys are in this village and you don't get out that much and people don't come here that much. And there's that sense of isolation and rough terrain. 100%. You know, I was in, I was actually in Kabul um, in Afghanistan uh, for four, seven months. And so like the terrain, it reminds me of Afghanistan a lot, but um, this experience has reminded me of being in uh, as a tr transition team member in Iraq, uh, where I'm, we're literally out on the Syrian border um, mm -hmm. with with not 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 many resources, not many supplies, at the mercy of the community um, and the intelligence that they provide us. So, yeah, that's I guess so. Like using those two experiences, uh, mm -hmm. I was able I was able to be to be like, oh, I, I, this is familiar territory to me. Like I'm going to be all right. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be challenging, and it might be feel like a long time or a long year here, but you you'll you'll get through this. Did you seek out Alaska or just a, let's call it a hardship assignment out of journalism school? Was that important to you or did it just so happen this was the gig that popped up on your radar? You know, it's funny that you asked me that question because I feel like I've been doing a lot of introspection in the sense like I've been trying to 
I've been, you know, I went to therapy. I'm doing like telehealth because uh, the uh, the sunlight is an issue for me. The yeah. lack of, you know, we only had a couple hours. Obviously, the winter solstice just passed, so we're getting more daylight. But I was having a difficult time adjusting to that, and and I and I realized like I don't have to do this anymore. Huh. I don't I don't need to do this anymore. You know, I can I'm. I'm in San Diego living the life, you know, uh, you know, I, I ride a motorcycle and I, and I literally ride my motorcycle 365 days a year in Southern California. And I'm like, that's what I love doing. And that's, um, and, and here I am going back into the quote unquote shit. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it makes you really think like, why do we run to the hard stuff? Why do we run to the sound of gunfire? Why do we run into the burning house? And I think that's the essential question for all, all us veterans. Like we have to kind of, kind of uh, think about that and 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 scratch that itch and be like, hey, like why why do you need to do that? You know, like you did enough. And 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 so yeah. What was it for you? Did you did you seek this out because you thought there were more interesting stories to tell, or what was it about the suck that drew you back in? Man, you're 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 hitting it hard. Okay, sorry, man. Yeah, no foreplay. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> hey, it's your fault. If you just had a nice, easy, boring life, this would have been a much easier conversation. But you know, had to go there. You, you guys are going in raw, and it's okay. <laughs> I, you know, I again, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot lately. But, um, you know, I, I had a, um, I was what, twenty. 22, 22 or 23, early, early 20s, right? And so uh 2004, um, I was I was holding my daughters uh with back then my 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 girlfriend, now my wife. Um and uh I was feeding my daughters, they're twins, identical twin girls. They had a pretty difficult, challenging um life, spent a couple of months in the NICU, the neonatal intensive mm-hmm. care unit. And um, so I was just happy as a clam to have them home and I'm feeding them and just doing all the things that dads do. And I, I received a phone call uh, I, probably late afternoon and uh, it was late as shit. I mean, it was it was actually right around this time. Hmm. Um, and um, we received a phone call saying that um, a really good friend of mine had been blown up in, in Afghanistan. Um, his name was Sergeant Kyle Seitzinger. And we served together in um, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and uh, he actually got out of the military. Um, but due to stop loss, you know, obviously, I, 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 Iraq was kicking off, so they had, they, you know, they weren't letting anyone go. And um, he was going to school for at Oklahoma Christian University when they recalled him, and he was going to school for uh, journalism. To to be honest with you, and he uh, he he. Uh, he wanted to be a journalist and he was doing his thing being um, a PAO type person in, in the army national guard. Uh, and he was working on a story reporting live um, in uh, Gosnia, I want to say. And uh, they were, they were clearing a cache of, of explosives and poof. And um you know, I I lost it. I I I I don't think I've ever cried that hard in my life. Um, and it really, 
really impacted me as i'm sure this experience impacts this type of experience impacts all of the, the veterans so it, it, you you can understand that and appreciate that and um it just kind of stayed with me like this guy just wanted to tell stories and he 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 loved he loved people in the community he loved um he loved helping people uh, yet he was still a warrior and he 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 enjoyed doing the hard stuff and um when i got out i i, I in 2015 i retired i was fortunate enough to retire and um i was trying to figure out what to do next you know and i figured i wanted to serve my community or serve my serve the people more and and what you know at first it was through law enforcement that never panned out um i was a little too honest in the uh the psychological evaluation um because yeah. we're all suffering we're yeah. all suffering yeah. from something yeah. right? and and it's it, they said i wasn't you know uh, i was too depressed to carry a gun and i'm like well you might as well just take everyone's guns away then right, right. if you want to talk about that right. and and also oh by the way i think that's the problem with with law enforcement is that they the the people think it's a it's a battlefield and it, and it's not it's it's a community and um they're they're your neighbors they're your fellow citizens and and I think you'd want someone like me you know, around to to know that it's important to de-escalate so that everyone gets home sure. safely because we shouldn't be be killing people. Um, mm -hmm. And so anyway, I said my piece. Um, that didn't work out. I got blacklisted. Obviously, I couldn't apply for any other three-letter agencies or any other police departments because of that, um, because of, quote-unquote, being mentally right. um, uh, depressed, et cetera. Um, and so what, what are the way to, to serve your community? And, and that's through, uh, journalism, um, you know, telling stories and, you know, it's, it's still a service and, 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 and so what better way to honor, um, Kyle Seitzinger than continuing on his path, um, because he couldn't, because he died for, for me to, to be here and live this life, you know, cause you, I'm so depressed. I'm so, uh, blue that sometimes it's difficult for me to to continue on living but then I, I look back and i and i remember all those that uh have died or have ha, are continuing to push forward and move forward and doing great things a lot of veterans are doing great things and and, and it, it keeps it stokes the fire and, and it keeps me going and so um all that is to say is that no one else was calling me after journalism <laughs> school um you know you know an older guy retired uh they want young folks um they people's biases about veterans um and 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 so it was difficult to to get my foot in the door and so this was the only opportunity that presented itself and um i said yeah let's let's do this so i hope i answered that question you you totally answered that question um when you made the decision to go to journalism school to take that path Besides honoring Kyle, which is a hell of a motivator in and of itself, were you a writer to begin with, or was there also a part of you that was turned on with by the idea of human interest stories, going out, talking to people, being there, just not carrying a gun, but being in a situation, being on the front lines of some developing story? What, what other inspirations were driving you once you decided to take that path? Yeah, sure. So. Another good question. Um, yeah, I've been writing. I've been a writer for forever. You know, it's um, started as an early age to just 
figure out who I was and my place in the world, um, being a, an immigrant, being uh, brown. And so I had a lot of anger, um, and it just came to me to, to jot things down. I had a marble, marble notebook, and I just kept writing and, and stuff like that. Um, and so I had written the first time I actually really got serious about writing was in 2012 when I was in therapy. Um, you know, I was, I was actually, it's interesting because as a captain in the, the mental health unit, um, sitting there with a bunch of junior enlisted Marines, uh, in the waiting area, it, it, it kind of speaks volumes. And I, I was just talking to the folks, the junior Marines, I'm like, Hey, like you guys struggling with stuff as well. And, uh, they're like, yeah. And I'm like, Hey, like, so am I. And, um, I'm here to, to get help and, and, and fix it. Um, anyway, so as part of cognitive behavioral therapy, I was supposed to write my trauma and um, read it aloud every night um, for like, you know, every night, 30 minutes, write it, rewrite the story the next day, rewrite the story. And so it became like a little, a mini MFA program, right? Or a writer's <laughs> workshop. And then like, as I'm reading it to my therapist and he's just like, you know, he's, you can see he's getting emotional because of the the the, mm. the trauma the trauma that I experienced. Or the, the, he's just reading this, and um, when I was done, I, I I was just like, "Wow, that that felt good." Like, what are what uh, what are your thoughts? And you know, he's asking <laughs> me, and he's like, "What what?" And like, yeah, like how was the character? Like, talk to me about the plot, you know. And he's just like, he's like, look, he's like, you are really. There's really something wrong with yeah. you, and I'm like, I'm like, I I need notes, man. Like, tell tell me how to get better. Um, and so uh, uh, with that, I started to I, I I got that itch, and I kept writing, and um, I was able to apply to uh, some veterans writers workshops, and I, I was fortunate enough to get in and and find this community of veteran writers, uh, and and to to this day, my a good friend of mine, Matt Young. He's a he's a writer who's coming out with his hopefully his uh, next book. Uh, he and I maintain uh, contact. And yeah, so I had enough of a manuscript to submit and I only applied to one uh, journalism school and that was at UC Berkeley. Um, and and I got in. I was just like, well, I mean, I'll do it. And if not, because I, I, I couldn't I, I wasn't interested in the MFA program because I, I knew I'd, I, I wasn't interested in teaching. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm interested. I'm interested in writing and and storytelling. And so like that's why I wanted to go the journalism route and not the MFA route. What kind of things did you find yourself writing? Was it all directly based from the therapeutic writing you had started? Or did you start to find yourself diving into fictional pieces or pieces that were extrapolated from real events but were now becoming more and more fictional? What did you find yourself gravitating towards? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I like in the beginning, I called myself a novelist, right? An, an aspiring novelist. I'm like, I'm yeah. going to write the, the greatest American novel. And uh, holy cow, it's rough out there. Uh, <laughs> it's, it was like, it was very, I mean, I had, I have so many rejection letters um, in fiction and I found more success in creative nonfiction and, and, and nonfiction. Um, but I, I still look back and, and say that I'm a, a novel writer or a fiction fiction writer, but uh, may, I I don't know. Um, yeah, so so basically, it was fiction, um, just things that were in my head, um, not necessarily drawn from life experiences, 
Um, and it was more like, you know, popular fiction or, or general fiction. Mm. Um, but, uh, but still th things really, I still enjoy writing. And so like I would do uh, generative writing workshops or do prompts and out would come these really interesting things. And I just, I would, I guess I, I'm an object oriented writer, meaning like I just write about a thing mm. um, and, and kind of like unpack what that thing means to me, even though like the audience doesn't necessarily need to know like what that thing is. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's maybe it's just some things that I'm dealing with inside, um, that, that need to come out. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my writing. Can we talk the kind of the, the chronology of how you, what your writing career started to look like? Did you start submitting pieces while you were still in, or did you wait until you were out to the start really full on writing? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, um, I had I I waited till I got out to to submit to places. First of all, there like I didn't even know anything how, how that whole thing worked. To be honest with you, sure. um, which is which is probably which is definitely a disadvantage a disadvantage and should be spoken to about. That's why I kind of like talking to younger writers specifically that are still in the service or or that are veterans because. <clears throat> Had I known this information, I I, I would have uh, I, I would have been a different writer. But um, I'm I'm happy the way my journey turned out. But uh, yeah, it was like 2015 when I retired. Technically, I was still in when I was in the um, the veterans workshop in in Vermont. Uh, it was, but I was on terminal leave. So yeah. Um, but uh, it, I still didn't have a a publication. It wasn't until after that that the the publication started finally accepting me. Had you been writing though? So in other words, did you give yourself a runway? You're still in, but you're writing actively just with an eye towards submitting it and publicly sharing it when you got out or did you, were you not really able to focus until you got out and then start yeah. putting pen to paper? Yeah, I wasn't really able to focus until I got out, but I was writing essentially letters to my daughter, daughters, um, while I was in because, um, they were so young. And I wanted to keep that memory fresh about all those experiences and the times that um, <clears throat> what it meant to be a father to them, because, <clears throat> you know, I, I, uh, I didn't, I mean, I have a father, but I don't know him or, you know, re really talk to him. I haven't spoken to him in decades. Um, so I don't really know what it's like to, to have a father. And so I had this idea of what it was to be a father um, you know, in my head and what all these cool things I was thinking about to do. Um, and so as I was doing it, as I was experiencing it, I, I wanted to write about it, not only for their memory or for their future, but for my memory. Um, and, and so like th that, those are my audience. And I think it, they're still my audience, my initial audience mm -hmm. and, and, and obviously me, like, right. Cause I, every story I'm, I'm really just trying to talk to me to, to, to help me heal. I guess that's what it is. It's part of that healing process where I, I need to heal. I don't know what it's like. I'm hurting, um, not having a father, um, not having relationships with with family, um, and 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 trying to heal that. So how do, how do you reconcile that? And that's through art. And and so yeah, that's what drove me to write. 
you submitted and you got featured in an awful lot of magazines. Do you attribute, I mean, what do you attribute that to? Were you tenacious? Did you start to have a lot of champions that were seeing your work and encouraging you to submit to other places? What was, what was that like for you to suddenly, you know, get published and actually have your work get out there? First, you're very kind. Um, but, uh, I, I believed in my writing and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like there's not many, well, I'm not, I'm not good at a lot of things. And, um, but like, there's something to this writing where it's just like, I didn't, I refuse to give up on that. Like I give up on myself a lot, but for me, it's just like, no, like you're wrong. This is good. And, and I'm going to prove you wrong. And, and I'm like, I, fine, you don't want this. I'll go on to the next person. Fine. You don't want this. I'll go to the next person because I believe in this work and I believe that it is universal to veterans, even though that they weren't publishing specifically veterans voices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it, when you distill it, it's, it's a, it's a human story. And, and, and it's it's a, just because it takes place in a combat zone that it takes place in a in a in a in a you know a forward operating base or you know combat outpost. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, this person is a character. This character is is it wants to be loved, wants to wants to survive, <laughs> is grappling with ending a, another person's life. <clears throat> This other person is conflicted with the suffering that they're witnessing, um, and even more so with the children that they're seeing. Um, and and those those stories are important because of the the decades of war that that we've experienced. And 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 so yeah, that that's what keeps driving me. And I I don't care about a rejection. I know I will get it published somewhere. And 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 I. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of, I'm proud of my work. I'm, I have to be like, I have to be, I have to believe in myself. Otherwise this thing isn't going to work, you know? A hundred percent. Did you find that you had to write about military themed subjects? Were you able to write about non-military themed subjects? Was it, what was that process like finding subject matter or was for you, was it just a matter of going, look, I got a laundry list of shit I want to sort out. And until I get through that, I can't really focus on, on other stuff. Yeah. I think, I think that's, it's, it's funny because like, it's such a weird experience that I had, you know, every, every it's, that's, what's so crazy about this whole military experience. You know, it, it varies. Right. And so but then you're like you start adding layers to it. Like I'm I'm brown. I'm I'm Latino. I was I was born in Dominican Republic. I was trying to assimilate into this culture, and like there was no there was no war at the time, 1995, when I enlisted. And like, um, what what does that look like? And then you have war, and then you have more war, um, and then you have a decade of war, more decades, um, and then like you're done. Like they say, thank you very much. And and you get out and you take off that uniform and you peel back those layers and like, oh yeah, I'm a father and you know, I'm a husband. And like, so, so who is, who is Francisco Martinez Cuello at, at its core? And, and that's what I've been trying to answer. Um, and what the beauty of it is like, 
it sometimes it it doesn't come out. And this is what's great about these writing props. Um, you know, I wrote about this uh, mug that was given to me by by an, an old girlfriend, and I've had it for for decades. Um, and one day when I was thinking about killing myself, um, I dropped the mug, and it and it, it and it shattered into a different pieces. And I I mourned that cup. Um, and it was it was a long process, but I didn't really think to write about it. I didn't think about anything. I was just crying. Um, and then a year later, I was at some generative workshop, and we had a writing prompt, and it just it came out, and uh, it came out within like five minutes. Um, and we were, we were supposed to share it, and I shared it with the people, and we were all crying. And um, and, and so like yeah, so some of these things come out of you they need to come out some things just need to simmer and and eventually they'll come out and so like i trust that process now and i don't force it because when i force it it doesn't come out right what's it like for you to be a reporter and a journalist i imagine i'm I'm completely projecting here but i feel like when a person has a backlog of stories that they need to unpack and tell and deconstruct to then go tell somebody else's story. It's kind of annoying because you're like, dude, I'm dealing with my own shit and I, I, I'm, I'm marinating in my own juices right now. And it's hard to pull out of that and, and, um, and go talk to somebody else. Has that been true for you? Did you find it an easy process to start finding other people's stories? Well, I, for me, it makes me a better listener um, because I, I'm, I'm, I've got, better empathy, you know, and, and, and so like case in point, um, it was veterans day. Uh, and, and so I, I went to the VFW here in Bethel and I wanted to write about veterans and, um, there was a couple of folks that, um, haven't shared their stories with, with anyone to the level that, that I was able to, to, to draw out of them because maybe it's because of the shared experience um, or for the fact that like, I just made them comfortable and allowed them to be vulnerable. Um, and so I, I do, I, for me that I try to get to the essence of that story to, to, to make it more palpable um, universal. And because again, like we're, we're all suffering we're, we're all just trying to make it to the next day. And so like, how can, how can, what is this person's story? Who is this person? And, and I'm going to make you read it. I'm going to make you listen to it and consume it. Um, and, and, and so that person's story lives on. Um, and, and so like that, that's how I approach things. And it's, it's, Again, it's all about healing, my journey to healing. And so like for me, that's that satisfies me, that that feeds me, mm-hmm. that I'm able to tell important stories that even if it's just touches one person or it touches a whole community, a state nationally, um, it doesn't matter to me as long as I'm able to do do it right and honor Kyle and honor all those that have passed and 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 be a good role model for my for my family and my daughters. What actually is your beat out there in Bethel? What are you supposed to be covering? What's your assignment? Well, I'm I'm, I'm actually uh, 
you know, a science writer, an environmental writer. Um, because to, to, to me, there's just like this abstract thing and I like to like break it down and, and, and see, you know, that's the challenge for me. That's what I enjoy. Um, but here uh, it's a general news fellowship. So it's just like the, the daily newscast. Um, but I do being the sole reporter here, I do have freedom to chase my own stories. And so like, I, I tend to be more biased and, 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 and try to write stories with, with solutions too. Like for me, it's just, it's about, it's not only about identifying a problem, but here are some possible solutions and, and to give, give the reader something or the listener something to, to walk away with, be like, Hey, here's a problem, but here's a possible solution. Vice, this whole negativity or this whole, you know, one side or, or slant, no, let's, let's approach it as objective as you can be. I know it's, impossible but um you know let's let's approach it and let's try to find solutions don't just keep reporting the same problem you know for example like there's no this is a a, a damp area like it's not dry it's not it's not illegal to to drink but uh you, you can't buy it here oh, but you can gotcha. you can bring it in. but like there's still a lot of um alcoholism there, there's still a lot of uh alcohol related incidences and so like i can't just keep reporting on such and such killed someone such and such had a domestic violence due to alcohol but what's what's the real problem here is it is it because of you know the systemic racism is it because of you know the the uh, our relationship with uh, the indigenous community um the fact that there is no no hope, no lack of uh, lack of resources, mental health, et cetera. Like let's let's explore that and 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 see, like if there could be a solution, or there may not, and let's identify that too. How much does journalism scratch your itch? How much is that satisfying to you, therapeutically, creatively, um, even in the craft of writing? Does it does it hit all the wickets for you, or are there still days where you're like? Cool. I covered that automobile accident because that was an important story. It had to happen. I don't feel creatively fulfilled, but whatever. I made my paycheck this week. Like, how how does it? How well does it scratch your riches? Yeah, that's that's good because I'm constantly I'm constantly asking myself <laughs> that question and and reflecting on it. But I think I think you're right. I, I think I think I'm just like okay. These are the things that I need to do to get out. And stuff like that um but then you i have my my cake right <laughs> and you're just like here's a long story that I'm, I'm i'm focusing on let me chip away at it can i can i do something about it today you know what's the interview like and 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 going out and interviewing them okay well the timing isn't right you know uh, and so like that satisfies me as long as i'm getting making progress on my my long form mm. Um, my future projects, mm -hmm. um, that's what satisfied me. But like, I'm also, I, I don't, don't, um, throw away what I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing now because it, it all feeds into the writing, right? Like writing is writing. And so even if I hate the upside down pyramid, I'm still trying to figure out what the heck a lead and nut graph are like, who, who does that? Yeah. And so, like, right. but like, yeah, sure. I understand it. You know, checking the box, I put all that thing. I got the newscast out. Cool. But like, I'm really focused on this 5,000 word piece that I'm thinking about. Yeah. 
And is that what it is, is that you're working on longer term pieces or would you actively submit stuff even now? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to submit stuff for nationally that is um, Alaska specific, but at the same time, um, for example, like climate change, like to, to be honest with you, like this is Alaska's ground zero for, for, for climate change. This is a study in, in climate change because they've they're already started to uproot communities due to the the sea level rise due to the lack of mm-hmm. um of snow ice um and and so like what well, you know you should be paying attention to this because this is going to happen more more often in in the near future and so yeah gotcha i want to do what i always forget to do which is kind of start at the beginning and build this and you've alluded to it so i want to try and drill into it a little bit when did you leave DR and come to the States? Yeah, I think I was like three or four. I was born in 77. So I think 1980, 81 uh, okay. came in. Uh, I think I think it was due to, I don't know. I mean, I need a fact checker, but like, I'm pretty sure there was a hurricane. Um, and that's why we we left Dominican Republic. So, okay. Where did you end up going? Uh, in New York. I. I, I'm all around the city. And then when I got, geez, I, I don't know when I say, well, we, we, we lived in New Jersey and New York. Um, but then when I was, I was five or something, six, we moved out to Long Island. Cause I was just, uh, uh, it was just, it was more affordable than, than the mm-hmm. city. And, uh, yeah. So my mom, uh, my dad, my mom and dad divorced when I, I think when I was born, I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so it was your mom the whole time that left that, that you went with from DR. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I was, which, which is, which is interesting. Cause I have uh, two older sisters and, and a mom. So I literally just grew up with women and, uh, that was, that was an experience. <laughs> I don't doubt it. And where did you move to in Long Island? Yeah, eventually we settled in Patchogue out there in Suffolk County. Okay. All right. Yeah. So close to the Hamptons, almost to the Hamptons, right? Sure. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, I, no. I, Long it's Island still- to me, I, I, I'm still very fuzzy on Long Island, like any city person. Yeah, I think I think still think it's like 45 minutes away from, Is it? from the okay. Hamptons. Yeah. Okay. All right. How'd you, how did you adjust to it? How did you like living out there? Yeah, I mean, it was... It was tough being the only brown kid or a few brown kids uh, that were there. They were mostly Puerto Rican and Dominican, like myself. Uh, I was in ESL for a, se- uh, a moment, the English as a second language. Um, they they thought I was um, I should be held back, uh, but that's because I I didn't talk. I didn't really mm. talk at all, mm-hmm. and so um, that's a. So that was pretty interesting. Um, and, and yeah, like it was tough to, 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 to find my niche. Sorry, I have to move my phone. No, you're good. Uh, um, I was just trying to um, figure out where, where I fit in and um, who, who I could talk to. I didn't feel really connected to the Latino community. Um, I don't know if because I was, quote unquote, too, too smart. Or you know, too uh, too nerdy. I think that's probably more accurate. 
Was it? You know? Were you were yeah. you a book? Were you in buried in the books a lot? Yeah, I just liked I liked math and sciences, and um, I liked I liked reading. Um, I didn't really write then, obviously, but uh, yeah, it's just I there was something about intelligence that that I was attracted to. Huh. And, um, those and you liked education. Kid, yeah, and I like, I really loved education, and those folks were, those kids in those community were more out about going out and like having a good time and like destroying stuff. And you know, my mom was very man. My mom, my mom, like you know, she ran a tight ship, so like I couldn't even hang out anyway. You know, she's like, if I didn't get an A, I mean, she would, you know, give me a a good ass whooping. Yeah. Um, so so like it had to be A's. There is no B, there is no such thing as B's. If not, I'd you know I'd get the I'd get the chancleta. You know I could yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get the, I get the ass whooping. And so yeah. Did did you did your family as a whole, your sisters, your mother, were they fitting in with the Dominican community out there, or did they feel kind of isolated also? Yeah, that's a good question. I think my my sister, my older sister, she's a writer, and um, she she writes about this. Um, but yeah, she didn't fit in at all. Uh, she's and she's darker than than me, um, or was. I mean, shit, I'm I'm pale right now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, she she writes about this and her experience. And I didn't know she was going through such a difficult time. But um, as 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 a Latina, um, so I, I can't imagine that. And my sister, my, my she's only a year older than I. She was she's uh, light skinned, uh, green eyes, you know, blonde hair. So uh, she she had no problems um, assimilating. But uh, yeah, my, my sister and I, yeah, it was pretty rough. What was so different about your family that you weren't that that there was such a rough assimilation with the other Latino families in the area? What made that difficult? Why were you all? Why did you all feel that way? This definitely had to do with my mom. Um, she didn't approve of our friends. Um, that's just, I mean, there's still what racism within the Latino community, right? Like I, right. I, I couldn't hang out with uh, darker people than, than I was, you know, like my mom would, would say something about that. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, and, and you, at the time you feel like, like it's nothing, but then as you as you get older, you realize like that's that's an issue. Like, you know, you don't feel comfortable around people, certain people, um, you know, and and you try to try to figure out why. Um, and 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 so yeah, it's just my mom was the source of of a lot of issues um, that I'm still grappling with, um, but. Uh, yeah, I hope that answered the question. I don't no, know. that it, it does. It so to jump way, way ahead. Is that is there a lot or a little of that in the genesis of Salsa Night as a play? The the that there yeah. was an inherent the inherent racial tensions between Haitians and Dominicans was is that kind of at the core of that? Is that how how much of that plays into the play? Yeah, I mean that's. That's definitely one of those things that I needed to explore, right? Like, um, I think that's the whole, that's the crux of, of Salsa Night and trying to figure out where you fit in, in this institution um, that is, you know, is difficult on on minorities, on, on women, obviously. Um, 
And so like we, my, I think there was this thing. I, if you go back into the history of Dominican Republic, they have this thing where they're trying to like, you know, cleanse the race or, or, you know, talk about trying to get your children or your offspring to be lighter and, and, and hence why my sister, my middle sister was treated differently than my older sister and why I was treated differently um, because she was fairer skinned. So. Um, it's funny. I, I want to stay with the play just for a second. I want to do a lot more on the play, but taking this way out of, out of chronological order, <clears throat> it's funny because uh, in each of our two full length playwriting competition iterations we had award-winning plays that were about the tensions between haitians and dominicans mm -hmm. which i find to be really funny um because the first time uh in the first competition we read finesia farrell's uh, lucky and obviously finesia comes from a haitian family yeah and it, you know it was it was about it from from that point of view and then when you had salsa night uh and i was like i mean so creatively and just as far as subject matter goes, there's a lot that's appealing about that because it is a story that so few outside of those communities track or are even conscious of. So mm -hmm. subject matter wise, that's awesome as, as interesting stuff and not predictable. It's not a, it's not a well-plowed field yet. You know, it's like, Hey, there's a lot mm -hmm. to mine here. What I also found interesting though, is that you from the Dominican point of view and her from the Haitian point of view, um, there seemed to be, <laughs> you guys were not in diametrical opposition. Um, and I was all ready for it. I was like, oh, hey, cool. Are we, are we going to go one way or another? <laughs> um, for you, I mean, let, let me, I guess uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm saying a lot of words in search of a question because um, obviously I love Salsa Night. I, I think it's an incredibly, I, I, I loved just about everything about it. I, I can't, it, it scratched so many itches for me. Um, so without going full fanboy, I guess talk a little bit about the genesis of it. I know it originally, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe originally it was a creative nonfiction piece, right? And then, correct. but it, that creative nonfiction piece, if I remember correctly, didn't have the characters, the characters, but that was a you insertion that you kind yeah. of then brought them in. What was the genesis of turning it into a play? And I know you talk, there's a, you, I should say just for the audience, like you wrote a nice little explainer paragraph at the start of the play, but tell everybody about that and where the idea for the play itself actually came from. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, well, first that, 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 um, that like short creative nonfiction piece, it was, um, I, I want, it was an exploration in this we, right. And so, like I wanted people to understand what it's like to be part of this group. Um, that's, and, but it's not, it's not all like what, what you see in the news or see in movies about killing, et cetera. There's a lot of downtime and deployments and like, so what do you do during these downtimes? You know? And, and so like, these things happen in these bases and you hear about it in these outlying sites. And you're just like, man, they, they're, get, they're get, getting crazy out there in that operating base. Like right. I want to try, I want to go out there and experience because there, there was a situation in, in, in Afghanistan that kind of 
kind of stuck with me. Um, it was it was like this interaction between me and 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 uh, this other person, and um, this person was de departing, and um, and 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 she came up to me, and I was trying to like get my kid off because like you have, you have your flak. And right in the flak, like right where my heart is, I had my my pistol um, because just that I was in a vehicle all day, so I couldn't really have my pistol on the um, on my hip or my leg because of for fear of falling off, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so, like when when you're in a vehicle all day, it's just better to have it up there on your chest. And so I had it up there, and so I'm like, it was a really warm day, and I'm just trying to get this gear off and say goodbye to this person, and and uh, you know she comes up and. And and hugs me, um, without letting me finish taking off my uh, Kevlar, my my flak, and so like I feel this pressure against my pistol, um, but I can't feel this person's heartbeat. I can't feel this person's mm. flesh, um, and that really bothered me. Like it still bothers me because. I look back at that and it's always in my dreams or my nightmares. And it's just like, and, and I finally figured it out. It's because we, we just want to be touched. We just want to be held when we're in these moments, in these experiences, because we may not get out of it. Right. And so here is this thing where we cannot touch each other in this combat zone, even the the corpsman when you're bleeding out he's wearing gloves right and so like but then like you hear about um you know like um dr heidi craft in 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 um rule number two she talks about um uh corporal dunham's in the expectant room and he's not going to make it and so they ask her dr heidi craft to go to the expectant room which is just a closet and hold his hand and let him transition. And so here's this task that you're given and you're actually touching this person. You're, you're touching this person during his last breath when not his family members cannot be there. Like, like think about that experience and how it would impact you. And, um, you know, he actually squeezed her hand back. And that's what brought her to to get help. They were able to stabilize him and medevac him. And if if you don't know the story, and he won, he was the uh, Medal of Honor recipient. He didn't make it. Um, and so she, essentially, Doctor Heidi Kraft, was the last person to touch this young man who was what nineteen. And and so how do you how do you reconcile that? How do you, how do you unpack that? And so that that kind of stayed with me and. In, 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 you know, kind of percolating or, 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 or simmering in the background. And then when COVID hit and it was just like, holy cow, we can't, there's similar situations. We can't touch someone. We have to keep our distance. It, and, 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 but we have all this technology and we're able to talk to someone. Mm. And so like really com confusing your, your senses. And I was like, there it is. That's salsa night. This is why we were driven to go to salsa night. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't really animalistic. It really wasn't primal. It was just to 
to touch, to forget for a moment that we're in this combat zone and that we're fucked, we're going to die. So might as well just have fun, uh, if only for a moment, before I get escorted into the expectant room. So you could have told that story without invoking the Dominican-Haitian tension then, right? That could have just been a straightforward story about humanity. What what was the conscious decision to then layer the racial tension piece onto it, or or how planned was that, um, and how difficult was it to not lose the thread of what you were trying to say when you now have a couple of more balls in the air that you have to juggle? Yeah, I I thought it was too. I didn't want it to be too simple. Um, And also, again, with the challenge, um, I like my characters to be layered and complex, just like we all are. And, you know, obviously we had the it was also around that time, right, the George Floyd and 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 um, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And I was having these thoughts and these feelings and was just like, you know, I just kept thinking about. Haiti and Dominican Republic and trying to understand it more because my mom didn't, you know, they don't teach you these things. Um, right. And, and, and so like, it's not part of any curriculum. And so as I was reading it and trying to understand it and um, it, it just became more apparent, like, again, going back to my identity, who, who am I? Yeah. And, and I try to give distance to, I don't know if, you want to talk about this, but I was trying to give distance to the character Manuel. Um, and it, so you can stop me. And if you, if you feel like I'm going, sure. but like, I didn't want Manuel to, to be me. Um, mm. But as, as I kept writing, it, I, it was subconsciously like, and, and um, it became me um, and my relationship with myself and and my relationship with my identity and being Dominican and what it's like to be me, Dominican, institutionalized uh, and part of this bigger machine that is great at ending lives and destroying and um, destroying and, and and killing the earth and 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 what it's like to be a part of that. When initially I just wanted to do good, right, to help people, um, and so essentially it was it was a discussion on that. Like, and I had this moment where uh, I don't even remember writing it. This one scene, um, it's it's towards the end, and um, the, the, I don't remember reading it. But uh, I had a table reading at uh, La Jolla playwriters workshop of the veterans playwriting workshop and um the characters like the the guy who's acting is incredible and he was he was looking at me during the entire time and he was reading what i was what i wrote and what i was saying and it freaked me out because um he was he was like telling me it was okay to like quit to commit suicide and that really fucked me up and so, yeah, it was just, I don't remember that. And I always thought that was bullshit that writers talk about 
but it was like, it was a complete out of body experience. I'm like, I don't remember writing that, but it, obviously it needed to be said and I needed to experience that. Um, and, and what a gem, like what a gift that was. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> what was the takeaway for you in that moment? So you say it's a gift. I mean, obviously that's a pretty, I mean, it's a powerful moment, but what was the epiphany for you? If you, that's what you're getting, that he's saying it's okay to quit, it's okay to give up. How did you interpret that? What did that mean to you then? That I've, I've got more work to do um, huh. in both uh, life um, and mental health, but, but also to be vulnerable as an artist um, because that's where the magic happens. Um, and I, and I, and that's where I said, I was just like, I'm, I'm not afraid to go down deep into that dark hole because I, I know that there's light down there somewhere. And, and, and that's what happened. Like that, that's what I'm saying. Like I was just so blessed and so proud that I was able to create this thing out of, out of, you know, how many decades of pain. Um, and for me, it was just like, it was so worth it. Uh, and so that's what I'm, I'm saying. Like, I'm not afraid now. I'm not afraid to go there. I want to go there. I want to roll up my sleeves. Let's let's get dirty, and let's let's bleed. Let's open up that wound. Let it fester. Let it let it breathe. And and that that's what healing is about for me. Did you feel like you had been um, repressing that up until then in your writing? That you'd been avoiding some of that stuff? One hundred percent. Okay. One hundred percent. I just it needed that. I needed that was that whole journey led up to it. And, and, and that's when I knew I was just like, I can do this forever. Like I can, I can write forever. I want to yeah. write forever. I want to write these types of stories. And it just really motivated me. Like salsa night for me really motivated me. Um, I, I wasn't confident about my writing before that, that, but like that whole experience just changed me as an artist. What led you to writing it as a play was that the first play you'd ever written yeah i mean it was my second play um i had written a i been part of the uh, again the veterans writing workshop in la jolla uh at the la jolla playhouse um for a while now i want to say like four or five years maybe even six um but it was just like with each iteration or with with each class that we do um, and we ended up with a cohort, uh, Sheree, mm. Sheree is, is angles are in our, was in our core cohort. Right. Um, and so we're given these, you know, th we start from scratch and we're like, Hey, what, what are you thinking about writing about? And, um, and so I had a bunch of things that I was thinking about, but for me, it was just like, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something with movement and with dance um, because like that's so important to, to my culture. Um, and I was just like, let's explore that. Like, why, why, why should I be afraid to, to do something that involves dancing? Um, and, and again, they created a space to, to allow that and be like, Hey, let's do it. Let's, let's go through it. And, and I did. And, it was it was just an amazing experience. So let's back up even before that. What led you to playwriting in general? I mean, that's not a traditional path for writers even to go down. 
why did you gravitate towards playwriting in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, that's a good question. It's just to, I just, I want to, I feel like, I feel like I'm an artist. And I, I think I'm not afraid to try anything as an artist. Um, you know, they, they asked me to, to act and I, and I did, and I, I felt mm -hmm. like I was terrible, but it really helped me with writing because I, I understand what the, what the character was going through. And it was because of the, the, the writing and, you know, and so like I put myself out there all the time, not necessarily to be like the best or to, to learn a new trade or possibly gravitate towards that and switch gears. No, like writing is writing and art is writing and, and, and writing is art. And so like, why not throw yourself in all these different mediums and, and try that because it enriches you. Uh, it, 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 it helps with your experience in the human condition and it allows you to, to portray that um, in, 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 in whatever form you decide to put it in. And so, yeah. And, and, and I've been fortunate with, you got with the La Jolla Playhouse, like they had that opportunity and, and um, it's, it, the people are wonderful. The cohort mm -hmm. of, of writers, you always learn something new. And, you know, those, we all had different experience, gay, straight, black, white, you know, LGBTQA plus all that stuff. We're just in this beautiful spot where people are people and, and human and, 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 and they've experienced love and loss and, and tragedy and trauma um, through a different lens. And so, so I'm all for it. And so if, like, if there's not, you know, I mean, I'll try poetry. I'm not good at it, but I'll, right. but right. I'll, but I'll try it. You've talked about some of the epiphanies and some of the, the high points of playwriting. What's the rush you get from playwriting versus the rush you get from other forms of writing? Is it different? Is it better? Is it worse? What is that? What is the difference for you? Yeah, I, I, I will say that, in my opinion, playwriting is the best in the sense that when you hear these characters say, you know, these people, these actors come to life, and and you hear it, and you 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 hear their interpretation of your words, right? And, um, and it's a journey and it's a journey you share together and it's just so special. It's so, it's 3d, right. And it's, so, it's just, it's wild. Like it, the payoff is huge. Uh, when I would hear these actors say these words and laughing when like, mm. yeah, that's it. Mm. You're supposed to laugh there mm. and, or you're supposed to feel this way there. Like, yes. I'm like, and so it's, it's instant feedback. Right. Whereas in like, if I'm doing it on, um, on print, I don't know what's going on in your head, um, yeah. but, but there it's, it's right in front of you and it's instant feedback and the, the gratification and payoff is huge. Let me get back on course uh, chronologically. When you were about to graduate from high school, what did you think you were going to do? What were you aiming to do? What were you aspiring to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, I was going to go to, well, my goal was to to attend the, one of the academies. Um, mm. The uh, my my SAT scores were were complete trash, um, huh. so like I don't I don't blame the the, the rejection. 
Uh, the Naval Academy told me to go pound sand. Air Force Academy didn't even like look at my application. But West Point was interesting. And so they called me up and I had uh, <laughs> this colonel, you know, to, to give you an idea how much of a punk I was as a, as a teenager. Uh, the West Point guy, he's just like, you know, he, he's a, the dean of admissions, colonel, you know, full bird colonel. And uh, he calls me up and he's just like, so you, you're you interested in the military academy? I'm like, yeah. All right. Well, your scores are a little low. I'm like, yep. He's like, so you'll, I'm thinking about, you go to a two-year prep school and you, I said, okay. And then you'll go to, to, to West Point for like four years and then you'll, you know, receive your commission and you'll serve the army uh, for, for six years, something like that. And I said, okay, so let, so let me get this straight, Colonel. <laughs> I'm going to do two years at a prep school, four years at, at West Point. So that, right. That's six years. Yeah. And then I'm going to do six years on top of that to pay back the military. He's like, yeah. So, so that's 12 years into an organization that I don't even know if I'm sure I want to be a part of. And he's just like, yeah. I was like, yeah, no, no, thanks, man. Go fuck yourself. And I hung up. <laughs> you tell him to go fuck himself? I said, fuck you or something. I know I said, fuck you. It's like, because <laughs> I just thought it. And, and, and looking back, I was just like, man, what an asshole. That's, that was a real, that was a real dick move. Um, but like, I, I really wanted to be a Marine anyway. Um. And and it just college was was on the side, like meaning like I wasn't ready for college. Um, I was, you know, I was, you know, as from my your, my interaction just that I just spoke about, I wasn't ready for college. I wasn't mature enough. And so what what do immature teenagers do? They join the Marine Corps, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. At this at this point in high school, were you still somebody that was? Were you still a nerd? Were you still into education? Or had you become something else? Were you now into sports, into just hanging out? Like, what was your thing? Who were you at that point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was still a, a nerd. I was an aspiring nerd, um, and and but I was still I was playing football, and then I wrestled a little bit, and um, uh, yeah. So that that was important to me. But I, I just knew I, I knew I didn't have what it takes to be successful, or the or to be honest with you, I would argue. What was underlying it was the financial situation, right? Like, so my family was dirt poor and I saw, you know, I have two older sisters. So I saw them struggling in college, you know, eating ramen noodle. And I'm just like, dude, I'm tired of eating ramen noodle. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. three hot, three hots in a cot in the military. Like, I'm good. <laughs> how did you even, how did the military first even come into your aperture? How did you even find out about it? How, how did it become a feasible option? Yeah, well, sp specifically the Marine Corps is because of their commercials, right? Like, you okay. know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, it's just like, you know, I think, what was that one? I think it was the night one. It was right? the night, was right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The 90s, it was the night. <laughs> so I said, I want to do that. Like, that's the coolest thing. <laughs> um, how much did you know about it going in? How, how much had you really gotten in the weeds of what it meant to be a Marine or be in the military in general? Yeah, so I was an Air Force Junior ROTC for like three years. Um, and, and that obviously that's military light. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were, we were given access to all the different services. And, um, I, re I remember I walked into the, the Marine Corps recruiter and, uh, some staff sergeant and he, he had, a he had a, a sailor's cover, right? The, the, 
the white yeah. cover. I don't even I don't even know how to call the it. Dixie cap, <laughs> oh, yeah. Dixie cap, little thing. Yeah, yeah. And he was he had a sharpie and he wrote Fido on it, and so and he put water in it and he put it out there like it was the dog's thing out on in front, and I just could not stop laughing. And then he had uh, like had action figures on his um on his uh desk and he was putting them all in different like pornographic positions i'm like i'm like dude this this guy's a kid i mean he was old he was an old he was like well old back then is right it was in his 30s uh uh, but man he was just a blast and he 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 was just like listen you want to join the marine corps cool if not no problem uh i don't care you know um and it was just like that that attraction and like that that camaraderie that they all shared because they were all just pulling pranks on on the other different services um but also being honest like 100 honest is just like hey man mm. like this is gonna suck uh but if you endure it it'll probably be the best times of your life um we you know i'm not you probably be a grunt you'll probably be this you know you know just literally breaking everything down like you know but you'll be part of the greatest fighting force, you know, the world has ever seen the United States Marine Corps. And so, um, that, that attracted me and, and that level of camaraderie, right. Because it was, it's essentially a family and I didn't have really a family or I didn't feel like I belonged to a family. And here was this group of misfits that was accepting me as a, as a family. And so like, that was a no brainer. I, I signed up, I was 16. I actually needed my mother's signature. I, on my 16th birthday, I was down there and I, I and I signed my, my the papers and my mom was not happy. Uh, she she had to she had to sign for me. <laughs> really, she was not happy. Yeah. What did she want for you? Yeah, just like every other, you know, immigrant kid, be a doctor, be an engineer, be a be a scientist, uh, contribute in, in that sense. So, when you signed up at sixteen, did you? push off then did you go to basic then or were you, or is it like a delayed entry thing yeah it was a delayed entry program but okay. like i um it was good it was better because i had you know ship date like i had a better chance of my mos my recruiter was talking to me because you know i wanted to be a ground pounder and he's just like dude you're signing and i think and i signed a six-year contract i believe if not if it was five but he's just like you. You, you don't want to be a ground pounder for six years. <laughs> you know, he's just like, yeah. You, I, I cannot. And he was good. He was just like, I'm not. I'm not going to give you the infantry contract. Um, it's just you. 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 You're not going to make it. You know, wow. it's going to be tough. And I appreciated that honesty. You know, in in, in hindsight, you know, because that that you know <laughs> that would have been a that would have been a difficult challenge, which which I'm sure I would have been up for it. But it was just like, yeah, it definitely changed the trajectory of my. Of my life, my career when I when I when I did end up at my like aviation maintenance or whatever contract, right? You know? Is that what it was? Aviation maintenance. Yeah. So what? So since you signed the papers at sixteen, did you go to boot camp at eighteen? Was it a two year thing or was it like no, a couple I months seven, later? Yeah, as soon as I graduated, which was okay. I was seventeen, um, wow. I shipped out. Yeah. Wow. So when you get to boot camp surprised or was it exactly what you thought it was going to be yeah i was i was completely surprised because um again i was an idiot uh in the sense like well that not only that my recruiter was just like you have no problem you know because i was into sports i was athletic i was running a lot so i, I did it i was running at the time sub six minute 
miles. And so uh, he was just like, you're fine. PT wise, we, you know, they would have to go to these, we, to those uh, weekly meetings um, and PT. Uh, but it turns out like, as I get to boot camp, I should have went to those meetings because they were learning stuff like the general orders. They were learning uh, stuff about yeah. the uh, rifle. And I was just like, wait, what? Like you guys already know your general orders and this and that. And so I, I, I started to unravel a little bit because I'm like, dude, I got to, you know, they give you that stupid knowledge book and, and you have to learn that whole thing. And these kids already knew it. And so I like, I wasted a whole year that I could have known those back and forth with, which would have made my life a lot easier in bootcamp. Instead, I was just getting, you know, my, my stuff handed to me because right. I didn't know general order number three or whatever. So you go in, you're in for six years and you enlisted in 95. Yeah. Yeah. So you were what at the end of your first contract when nine 11 happened, or were you at the starting another contract? Yeah. So I had, uh, while I was, so I, I went, my first duty station was Okinawa. Then I went to uh, North Carolina in uh, MCAS New River, right? You know, in Jacksonville. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to go through the screening team for a Marine security guard duty. And so I had to. That's the embassy that. security, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so I had to do the, uh, I had to do another um, contract. I had to re enlist. Um, and so I went to Kampala, Uganda was my first tour. It was uh, really 18 months. And then I went to, I supported in Dar es Salaam for like a, a hot minute and then went to, um, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, where I eventually, that's where I met Kyle. Mm -hmm. And I was, and then I eventually became the assistant detachment commander there. Um, and that's when I applied for the, uh, Marine enlisted commissioning education program, MESEP. Um, and so I applied to that and I, I got accepted. Um, and so after my tour of duty ended, I went to San Diego to, uh, to attend the MESEP school, the prep school, which was there at the time. Now it's in Quantico. Um, and so, yeah, I went there and I went to my job was quote unquote was to go to school and be a student. I went to Cal state San Marcos for four years. I was in, so I got there in 2001 and wow. We're at drill at because uh, with part of the requirements you have to go to the NROTC right Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps, and that at the, that's at the school at University of San Diego, and we're in formation and uh, 9/11 happened and you know obviously all that uh, changed everyone a lot everyone wanted to drop on request uh, but we couldn't um, due to TCOM or uh, and they said you will finish this program and you will become officers commission officers because we need we're going to need officers and boy were they right uh, <laughs> yeah so so yeah so then i still had to finish school receive my commission in 2005 after i graduated by computer science degree and i uh, went to the basic school uh, for six months uh, fox company and then received my mos which was a communications officer and went to another six month school there in Quantico. Mm -hmm. And then I hit, and then I finally hit the fleet as a second lieutenant, uh, what in 2006, late 2006, maybe 2007 at MCAS Miramar. So I want to know the difference between you post nine 11 stuck, if you will, in school. And then when you actually hit the fleet, were you 
was it a transition of being really gung ho when 9-11 happened and now going, hey, I'm kind of over it and I haven't even gotten in it yet when you actually hit the fleet? Or what, I, I'm just trying to project what that might have been like in your head, the difference, because so much had happened in those ensuing five years. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of anxiety. Um, it was actually really a lot of anxiety and a lot of self-doubt that uh, I couldn't do this. Um, this is real. People's lives are on the line. Um, am I really, am I really suited for this? Am I worthy of leading Marines into combat? Um, because it's different, right? When you're in, when you're in that platoon, but man, that's, that's the strangest feeling I ever encountered being in front of the platoon during a company formation, battalion formation, and you're, you're literally alone out there in front of your Marines executing the orders right that are given to you by the commanding officer um and i never felt so alone in my life uh and i i i never felt so scared in my life like i don't because the stakes were so high you know we had already received reports fallujah happened right mm -hmm. phantom fury Fall mm -hmm. fallujah one, one and two i mean you hear these heroic stories of uh marines of what the what they did obviously all the service members what they did the incredible things that they accomplished and the amount of lives that they saved the ultimate sacrifice and you're just like am i worthy to be in that conversation should i be in that conversation and and so that's the thought that's that's what haunts me like you know it wasn't that i i was gung-ho it was gung-ho in the sense that i was trying to absorb everything i could learning how to read maps, learning about really paying attention to fire support and air support. And holy shit, you need to, to learn the medevac. You've got to, you've got to know no, medevac. In and out. Yeah. Yes, you have to. Um, and that, and wow, like that's weight. That's weight. Like you can't for a kid. I mean, think about it. We're all still kids, 20 years old in, in that to be given the, that level of responsibility. It's hard to wrap your head, your head around that. So yeah, that's, that was, that was my life. That was my life. When you first got the orders uh, to go back to school and to become a commissioned officer, did you think, it, now not knowing that 9-11 was going to happen or anything like that, did you mm -hmm. think it was going to be a career at that point? Or did you no. think it was just the next, it was just the next step? Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I've, always, I've always wanted to go to college. Um, I always knew that I was going to go to college. It was just a matter of when. And so like, ah, I'll get my, my, uh, computer science degree i'll go work mm -hmm. for some ridiculous corporation put some money in the bank and just laugh after four years of my payback time in the, in the military sure so now when you get orders to go to iraq you're now what more than a decade into your military career are you like shit uh, i i'm gonna have to do 20 like or, or are you looking forward to it are you like yeah i want to do 20 what's your what's your head at yeah, no, I, I was open to it um, in, in the sense that like, okay, well, whatever the, the path leads me to, I'll, I'll take. Um, but Iraq really was a terrible experience. Um, and it, it was because of the team leaders, the team leadership. I was part of a transition team. The top three folks were relieved of duty because they weren't uh, doing what they were supposed to. They were trying to go out and hunt and kill al-qaeda when it wasn't really our mission it was it was uh, to train and and mentor and advise the iraqi border defense forces and um, 
we lost our way. So they got relieved. And then I became quote unquote in charge uh, for a hot second. And then we got absorbed by another transition team. And I was on there for a year. I was a year long transition team. And so uh, then we moved down south to the Saudi border um, during the Hajj. And um, yeah, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm, I'm done. I don't believe in this. Um, like, what are we doing here? We're, we're just, this is ridiculous. I just lost all faith in, 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 in the military leadership, all faith in the mission. Um, but the people were still good. But also I was just like, I'm a liability because if I'm not 100% in, I'm going to get someone killed. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want that on my conscience. So I made a, I made a decision to get out. And, um, I was at the depot, you know, I was able to get out from Iraq and, uh, my next duty station was, uh, MCRD, uh, mm-hmm. as a serious commander. And, um, as I was there, I was just like, yeah, I'm just doing my time to hit my requirement and I'm getting out. Uh, it was like 13 years in and people thought I was crazy. Uh, but I, I just, I knew it wasn't good. And, uh, but then what, what changed was, um, the transfer of the GI bill, uh, that, that pushed, that legislation was pushed through. I think it was Oh nine, maybe mm-hmm. 10, Oh nine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they pushed that through and it was just like, well, I mean, let's, let's transfer this, these benefits to my daughters and it'll take me to 17 and I'm, I'd be dumb to get out then I might as well finish at 20. And so that, that was, that was essentially the, the think my thinking behind it. So it was pragmatic the whole way. Yeah. Was, um, what year was that in, in Iraq that you were there? That first deployment, the entire fall of 2008. So it was January to January. Ooh. Eight, eight, uh, January 08 to January 09. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's a interesting time to be there. Yeah. That mm-hmm. definitely was the low point. <laughs> I think that's definitely the low point <laughs> in the last 20 years uh, of almost all the combat theaters, I, I, I would say. Um, did you ride it out the whole way unscathed or did you go back on another deployment after that, after you'd kind of resigned yourself to just put one foot in front of the other? Yeah. Another opportunity came through in, um, in 2011 while I was on the depot. Um, it was towards the end of my, my tour at the depot and, um, it was an IA bill, an individual augment. And they were just like, Hey, uh, we need, we need <laughs> I need a warm body. Uh, but they had to have these requirements, right? You had to have like a, a TS clearance, TSSEI. You had to have experience uh, with uh, like protocol as a protocol officer. I think that's that's what the billet called for. And so like I had, I was, I worked at the, uh, the G3 at the time and that uh, dealt with the um, big, movements of the of the base like high visibility or any kind of event that the the depot puts on and uh the commandant came through and um i think it was amos yeah yeah it was it was Mm. it was it was uh, general amos anyway he came down and then it was general bailey who was in charge of the uh the mcrd and uh you know so i was in charge of that and I was setting up the visit, et cetera, and it, it went off without a hitch, no complaints. Um, and they, I told them, I was just like, well, I did have this type of experience. And so they're like, yeah, okay. Um, 
and they sent me there for seven months as the uh, the protocol officer. But it turns out it was a, a mission commander position for the uh, personal security detail or PSD for then uh, General Petraeus and uh, General Allen's uh, uh, Joint Visitors Bureau. So all the high vis four stars and, you know, uh, or even general officers visiting into Kabul, um, got a, the mission commander, you know, make sure that they go around and to all their different meetings um, and, and, and make sure that they get there on time. And so like I was the distinguished visitors that I was in charge of was then the sec dev who was both Gates at the time. And then the next sec dev who was um, Leon Panetta, uh, other four-star generals, the commandant, um, the, 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 I'm sorry, the chief of staff, right? The, mm-hmm. the chairman, the chairman of joint chiefs of staffs, et cetera. So like, yeah. And so like, that was, that was an interesting experience. I actually thought it was going to be a, I wanted to be a fobbit, you know, I was just like, I want to know what it's like to be a fobbit. And so like, I, that's why I took the position. Uh, it turns out I, I was like fob light because <laughs> I would have, I'd have to go through and, and go to these remote sites and places where like all these important uh, meetings needed to occur. And so I was just like, yeah, they, again, they got me. They lied to me. <laughs> was it all in the cluster? Was it all in the Kabul cluster or did you, did you also go out to the hinterlands? Yeah, it was, um, I th- all of mine maintained, stayed in the Kabul cluster area. Um, okay. other, other people, for example, the guy next to me, who's another Marine, he uh, he got to take Mattis, who's then CENTCOM commander, to to all the outlying sites. To mm-hmm. I think I think that's when the surge was going on then, right? And then Sengin, mm-hmm. um, so he had to take the, him to there, and so they got to see all that stuff. And I was kind of bummed I didn't get to the, do that, but um, yeah, I mean, I was I was fine. Just I had my hands full just right. being in the Kabul cluster. How did you feel? Um, Contrast, if you will, for me, coming back from each of your deployments, the difference between coming back from Iraq and coming back from Afghanistan, a couple of years apart, very different experiences. What changed? What was the same? Where, where was your head at coming back from each of those? Yeah, it's my, well, first I, I lost, I lost 30 pounds in Iraq. <laughs> um, I went from 185 to 155 because we were eating MREs or um, those those types of rations, the the heat rations, the heated rations or whatever it's called. Um, and so like I, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I neglected my, my relationships uh, and, for, and compartmentalized my feelings because um, I didn't talk to my kids that year um, because it just, it wasn't healthy for me in the sense that like I would just break down and, and lose it every time I would talk to them. So, um, which is probably why it's portrayed in salsa night, uh, the way yeah. it is, uh, yeah. because, because of that whole nine second delay and, and, you know, they were young at the time anyway, so they didn't really understand like, why aren't you talking dad? And I'm just like, right. I'm talking, I'm here, I'm here. And then, um, yeah, so that, that about killed me. Um, a lot of friction, because I'm still being a, trying to understand what it's like to be a man, right? Because you, you know, it's like growing up fatherless. Like, what 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 is the definition of a man? What is the definition of father? What is the definition? You know, coming in with broken relationships. Uh, you know, like seeing my with my 
mother and, and father and like so like how, how what's it like to be a, a good partner and um and so yeah it's just it was bad i was angry i was i was yelling a lot um at everyone uh and i was in iraq and that's when i knew i needed to go to therapy but i still didn't go to therapy uh got to afghanistan got back well i, I went to afghanistan and, and i had trouble sleeping um i had night terrors uh, mm. and so I was just, I went to the corpsman and I was like, Hey, can you just give me like Ambien or whatever? Yeah. And, uh, they refused to give me that. And they said, you need to go to talk to the shrink. And I was just like, I'm not talking to the shrink. And, uh, so that, you know, they wouldn't give me any kind of meds. Um, and then it, it compounded itself right when I got back and I was just yelling at everyone. Um, I didn't feel like doing anything. And, and oh, by the way, I'm still an officer right so you're expected to perform a certain way to do certain tasks um so finally i went to i need i went to the psychiatrist to get medicated first and then i finally went to to therapy because uh again it, i was responsible for so many people and so many things and I'm, if my head wasn't on straight i just i didn't need that to to, to have it on my conscience that i like because of my inability to fix myself um so and so is dead because of me. So, was that your last deployment, the one to Afghanistan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you know, things started to really kind of die down after that. As far as the opportunities for for Marines to deploy, sure. um, they were sending folks to Djibouti, um, right. uh, other stuff, and it's just like all all that quote unquote fun was over, um, unless you're an operator or something like that, right? When you retired, how'd you feel? Did you feel, and I, I'm, I'm going to give it a little bit of context because I've, I've, I'm interested in a couple of different aspects. I think there's a temptation after a long career to be burned out and to just go, I need to be in a cabin drinking a fifth of beam for a while. Um, but it seems like, and again, just basing this off, you know, looking at your website and, and, and the little we've talked and, and, and what I've been able to read, it seemed like though you were really fired up. You had a burr up your ass. There was stuff you wanted to unpack. Like you were aggressive about getting right out at for us. Like what's fascinating. Well, I mean, to be perfectly frank, what was fascinating to me about you on paper is like, here's a dude that's had a 20 year career and came out firing, not wallowing, not taking some years off and all that. That was very interesting but again this is just what i'm picking up on paper for you actually in it where was your head at when you retired was a sense of relief like holy shit i made 20 years i can't believe it i'm happy i'm relieved grateful like where what were you thinking what was the experience like for you yeah i mean i was i was burnt out but i i also didn't want to i also didn't want to stop being a marine um in in the sense that like I felt like I finally hit my stride where I was helping people, like no kidding, helping people, helping Marines, um, like getting them the help that they, that they needed. Uh, like, you know, these getting something, one of my Marines meritoriously promoted, um, you know, and, and, and like retaining these, these next generation of leaders and these warriors, both men and women. Um, and like, I was 
you know, with, with, with my writing, nevertheless, you know, cause <laughs> if, if, if your administration skills are, are good, which mine were, you're, you're, you're gold. And, and so I'm just like, Hey man, like you were, you give me your all. I will make sure that I take care of you, uh, professionally and, um, personally. And, you know, the, 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 the Marines that, that, um, I had at the time were, were great. You know, obviously there's always that one or two, but, um, for the most part, they were great and they kept me in, like they knew, like I needed to stay in to, 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 there's so, so much more that I could do to help these Marines. Um, but, uh, my family didn't want to move, you know, that the Marine mm. Corps was just, the Marine Corps was like, Hey, you stayed in California too long. Uh, even though you are deploying, I need you to go to Lejeune, Lejeune or whatever kind of thing they're calling it these days. Um, and I was just like, nah, I was just like, well, I mean, I will, let me talk to my family. And I was, I was, you know, I would have gotten promoted to major. Um, and, um, they're like, no, they weren't good. They didn't want to move. And so like, all right, okay, guess I better drop my retirement papers because, uh, that's that. And so, you know, I could be resentful. Uh, but I also was just confident in that it, it's okay. Like it's time and the Marine Corps doesn't really need me. They're going to continue to go on without me, uh, regardless of how much time you put in, um, because it's strange. Right. And it, it's, it's the strangest feeling is the retirement ceremony itself. Right. And so like you have this big buildup. We're gonna go. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna do this retirement. You're gonna get this gift. We're gonna tell you how awesome you are, right? And then you say, dismissed. And then, like, you literally go walk off into the sunset. Those Marines are just like, <clears throat> <clears throat> those Marines are like, going back to work, going to the chow hall, going to to PT, and their their days continue, and you're just like. You're done. You're not part of this gun club anymore. And it's just, it's so finite, right? Yeah. <clears throat> it's so trippy. It was the, it was definitely the trippiest moment I've ever had. You're just like, yeah. what do I do now? You know, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Did you take time after? Did you, uh, your, your, was it, was there any downtime? Were there weeks off? Were there vacations? Did you do anything? <laughs> so I was supposed to hit the academy, the police academy in October. Uh, I, re I retired in September of 2015. I was supposed to hit the academy, um, and then that didn't pan out. And, Is that uh, San Diego PD? Yeah, San Diego okay. PD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, like, they they said no, and now I'm unemployed. And you 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 know how it is because like, if trying applying for jobs is a full-time job in itself, right? Yeah, like yeah. you have to, you have to, you have to keep sending out cover letters. You have to keep sending out your resume. You have to prepare for interviews. You have to think about salary. You have to do this, you do that. And it's a full-time job. Yeah. And yeah. like, if you're not, the moment you stop doing it, you have to start it up all over again. And so like, you know, being in California, you know, you can't retire out of San Diego, right? Like it's too expensive. Yeah. And so you're just like, I have to get work. And so I, I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a job anywhere because I was either too old, you know, too experienced for these different positions. I even applied for like some part-time work loading a warehouse. Yeah. You know, I was, yeah. they're like, why do you want to work? I'm like, I need money. Number one, number two, like I'm fine with just doing this menial task. Like as long as it doesn't require 
brain power, I'm cool because I can write on the side and work on a side hustle or whatever. But they didn't, they wouldn't even hire me for like 15 bucks an hour, just for like working four hour days. Um, and, and so, yeah, I got really bad into a funk. Um, and I was unemployed for a year. I was, and I did, I didn't get my benefits as well. And, uh, I kept this from my family, but we were going to lose our house, um, because I couldn't make the payments. Uh, and it was a difficult time. Um, and I was like, well, I'll go to school. And, um, the family wasn't supporting that. And so I couldn't. And so finally I called in a favor. One of my buddies, uh, I went in with and he was working at Booz Allen Hamilton. And he's just like, I'm like, Hey dude, like I'm about to lose everything. I need help. And he, he, he passed my resume along you know, I had my clearance pass my resume along to the hiring manager and they got a call like the next day. And I, and I started working shortly, a uh, couple months after and a couple months, a couple of days, a couple of weeks after that. And I, I started working for, um, Booz Allen as, as a Navy contractor out there in, um, Spay war then it's now nav war as a quote unquote program analyst. Yeah. And you did that until what, until your family finally came around and said, yeah, you can go to school. Well, the the my that my my daughters were graduating, right? And so it's just like mm. my 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 daughters graduated in 2020 and I was just like, you know, I'm like, "Hey, like I'm going to apply to school and it'll be interesting to to go to school while you guys mm. are going to school." And um <clears throat> yeah, so it was like 4 years I was at Booz Allen and and again, I I didn't think I was going to make it in anyway. I mean, you know how tough these programs are. So I was just like, dude, it's, I'm not going to get in anyway. You know, it's right, like, right. so what's, what's like, we'll cross that path when it gets there. But first I have to be accepted. And then, you know, fortunately I was, I, I was accepted, but yeah, the kids graduated, but unfortunately COVID hit. So we were all remote learning, you know, in, in our, in our different uh, spaces. And so whatever. <laughs> what does the future look like for you then? I mean, obviously. You're out there living the good life in Bethel, but it can't be, it can't be rainbows and unicorns forever. So what, so what happens when this is up in the fall? What do you want to have happen? What are you looking at in the future? Where's your head at? And where, what do you see yourself doing? Where's the passion? Where's the drive? Where's your next rush? Yeah, I'm still going to write. I'm always going to write. It's what writers do. Writers write. And so, um, even though this is a radio gig, um, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity and, and really having fun exploring this medium, um, I want to get back to print. I want to do magazine stuff. I want to, I want to travel the world on my motorcycle. Um, I want to tell these stories about, uh, my experiences and, and how they, how they're, how it's a human story in it. Uh, a migration story and like how we travel this, this through life and this world. Um, but I, I, I've learned now to like accept what, what's given to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't really carve out uh, a plan, you know, because, uh, Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Right. And, right, so, right. and so, like, I'm just accepting what what the universe gives me, trying to do my best to put out the best product I can, um, and and help, that's meaningful to people, to veterans, um, and, and 
and and honor those veterans. Um, and that's that's what I'm I'm looking for. Whether it's books, whether it's playwriting, whether it's screenwriting, um, you, you know, the world's going to know about Francisco Martinez Cuello. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. And I I didn't I I kept it in my pants and I didn't go full fanboy. But um, <laughs> to those that haven't read it, hopefully you will see Salsa Night at some point. Um, and uh, it's a fucking phenomenal piece of work. It really is. And it just, I, I, I've said this before when we've had playwrights on the show, but I mean, you know, all, all I, my, my watermark is just the top 10 because I read all the plays, I get them to the top 10 and then the judges take it from there. But that play stood out. If not from page one, very close to page one, it was just a phenomenal piece of work. And, um, yeah, I, I, you're, uh, I, I couldn't be a bigger fan, um, and I'm interested to see what comes down the road. Tell everybody how they need to follow you. What? How can they connect with you? How can they learn more about you, about your work, about where you have stuff going on, social media, all that stuff? Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me, number one. Number two, thank you for those kind words. And and yeah, and I and I failed to mention that, yeah, the, the goal is to 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 set the world on fire with salsa night, um, and, and get that thing out there. And I want to see that thing out there. I want to, I want to bring it to the people. I want to bring it to, to the, the smaller communities, large communities, um, you know, and, and I want everyone to experience, um, that. So I'm very grateful for, for you and ha- having me on this platform so that I can say that. So, you know, of course that's the number one priority on my list. I just, you know, thinking, uh, out loud but yeah you can mm-hmm. follow me at uh the motorcycle writer.com w-r-i-t-e-r.com not r-i-d-e-r um i'm at k-y-u-k um uh, currently in the uh, bethel radio station so um you can you, you can listen to my newscasts or my stories or you can read them so you can go to kyuk.org um yeah i'm uh, the motorcycle writer on um Instagram and F Martinez Cuello on Twitter, which I don't really tweet much, but those are my, my platforms and you're welcome to, I don't have a newsletter or anything like that. I'm just, uh, you know, but you can read some of my work on, on my website and I'm going to, I'm going to start revamping it and probably start blogging. That was the goal while I was out here. Maybe Mm -hmm. when I get some help, I'll be able to start blogging so that way you can get, get, understand like what it's like to be out here in this, in rural Alaska and off the grid, off the road system, not off the grid. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait, man. Um, Thanks for coming on, brother. This was great. Thank you. This is great. Yeah. That was Francisco Martinez Cuello's profile in Havoc. As I said up front, I screwed up and did not get the intros and outros to this recorded in time, so I'm racing to get them done. So I'm going to keep things short and sweet. Uh, Obviously, Francisco's a great interview. I look forward to talking to him again at length in front of you all, because I think he brings a lot uh, to you guys. I think that was a fun interview. Okay, we started out this episode by thanking our first sponsor of this episode, Second Mission Foundation. Now I want to take a second and thank this episode's other sponsor, Veterans Repertory Theater. Veterans Repertory Theater is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization which provides a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events. And of course, full disclosure, it's my nonprofit. 
So um, vet rep has a lot of stuff going on. We have the first mounting of War Wound by Philip Korth. Speaking of Marines, a great Marine story. There's nothing like it that's ever been on the American stage. I feel very comfortable saying that. Um, We are going to do it as a staged reading this Saturday in beautiful Island Falls, New York at American Legion Post 633, which is sponsoring the reading, which is very cool. Um, really great cast. Uh, we, we, it was hard to get the cast for this one. This is uh, you know, a New York City cast of professional actors, but it's hard to find, man, young guys that can credibly play Marines in the theater. Whew, it's a tough one, but we got them, and I think it's going to be really, really cool. So tickets are free because at the end of the reading, it's a feedback session with the audience. We want you guys to chime in and uh, ask questions. Give us your feedback. How would you like what you didn't like? This will be the first time we're getting this play up and able to hear it out loud, much less have actors read it, have some staging and some blocking in there. So it'll be really fun. Uh, there's food and drink. That's a free ticket. So what's not to like? Uh, for that, for everything else we have going on, we've got our veteran playwriting classes. We've got acting classes starting up soon. We've got a whole lot of stuff going on. Check it all out at vetrep.org. That's V-E-T-R-E-P. Vetrep.org. Best thing you can do, go to the homepage, scroll down a little bit. You'll see the option to subscribe for free to our literary blog, which doubles as our mailing list. And that means that every day in your email inbox, you will get a awesome piece of veteran writing, specially curated just for you, for the subscribers. And then below that, uh, you'll see a bunch of shameless plugs of stuff that we're pushing that week, that day. So go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, and subscribe today. Okay, I need to thank the producer of this episode, Mike Neal, assuming that he hasn't lost his shit and is preparing to murder me for getting this in late. <laughs> and, uh, but he always does a great job, and I appreciate him bearing with me on uh, days like today when I had a brain fart. So uh, thanks to Mike, and I'm Christopher Palmeyer on behalf of Francisco Martinez Cuello, See you next time for another unique, special, rewarding, eye-opening, jaw-dropping profile in Havoc. <laughs>